0: Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weightloss. That's PlushCare.com slash weightloss. PlushCare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guest three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a woman who, for more than 10 years now, has been anchoring the ITV news and, more recently, Loose Women. She's also just made a really fascinating documentary for ITV's Black History Month called Empire's Child that sees her uncover her genealogy as a black Briton of Jamaican origin, tracing her family's roots to establish quite how the British Empire shaped her history. She makes some very surprising, emotional and at times difficult discoveries. Most notably that her five times great-grandfather was a slave owner in Jamaica who'd had illegitimate children with women on his plantation and that her four times great-grandparents were born into slavery but were also amongst the first Jamaicans to be freed and unslaved. Her own parents arrived in the UK in the 1960s from Jamaica as part of the Windrush generation and she and her two siblings were raised in Greenwich, London. After leaving school she studied journalism and took on an apprenticeship at ITV News before joining the newsroom at Radio 1 and Radio 1 Extra in 2002 where she once famously had to kick John Legend out of her seat to get her news bulletin out on time. In 2008, she joined ITV News as an anchor where she's been ever since, and in 2014 became the first black woman to host the News at 10. She still lives in London with her partner Andy and their two young children, Alfie and Florence. So let's dial her up. I'm looking forward to this. It's Charlene White. Hello, Kay. Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you we've just been rem- we've just been reminiscing offline about the one and only time we met on yeah. a dance floor yeah, and
2: I feel like every single one of the stories we were just sharing
1: completely inappropriate for this podcast, totally, which is why we're not sharing them. <laughs> <laughs> Some conversations are meant to be kept private Absolutely. and, then, and yet here you are all these years on. 2014, you make the history books as the first black woman to host the News at 10. Number one, shocking that it took so long. Yeah. Number two, bloody well done.
2: Thank you. Do you know what? I didn't realise that it was when I did it and that's probably a good thing. Um, it's the one and only time in my life where somebody has seen something in me that I didn't see in myself. So when my boss oh. called me, my boss, Robin, Wise was from the rooftops because he was a massive supporter of mine and still is even though he's retired, He called me to ask. He was like, hi, Charlene. Uh, um, We've got a gap in the rota for News at 10 coming up in about two or three weeks. And just wondered if you'd like to do it. A problem was, Kate, is I've been in an awards ceremony all day. So I'd been on Prosecco and champagne (laughs) for hours. I then left the awards ceremony to go to a leaving do around the corner from work. And by that point, it had another two gin and tonics. And then my boss calls. So, when he said that to me, I couldn't quite get my head around it. I'm like, oh, right. OK, Robin. Wow. Gosh, that sounds incredible. Um, but I've got to be honest with you, Robin. I've had quite a bit to drink. So, I can't actually really decipher exactly what's going on. I tell you what, how about I come into your office tomorrow and we talk about it some more? And Robin knows it very well. He was like, OK,
1: Charlene, I'll see you at 10 o'clock. That's for the best. <laughs> Okay, Bye. Did you well, did you remember it when you woke up?
2: Well, I sort of I was in a bit of shock, and I rang my dad, and my dad was like, "Oh, it's ah. very understated." He was like, "Oh, yes, that sounds amazing." And then I called my friend Jack and she squealed, and she went, "So, what's going to happen? I, went, I don't really know because I didn't bother finishing the conversation, um, but we'll <laughs> talk tomorrow." <laughs> um and then went in and of course it was real um and it was amazing I mean it's so, it's so me Robin knows me so well so it didn't come as any shock to him whatsoever that I couldn't discuss be doing news at 10 because I was drunk um and then <laughs> went in and spoke to him about it and he was wonderful and actually on the day I didn't know that I was the first one all I wanted to do that day is I work as I'm sure you have done as well, I work with around the most amazing people in our newsroom. And from the moment they realised that I was going to be presenting news at 10, they were just literally came together to almost lift me to make sure that I felt like Aww, I could do it. Oh, how
1: lovely. Juliet
2: Chingam sat me in the studio with her one afternoon and ran through everything with me and talked me through how News at 10 works. Every single person on the production team had my back and they were like, you can do this, you'll be brilliant. Um, Michael in graphics brought his cam- stills camera in and documented the day for me taking pictures. And when it came to actually, and Mark Austin, who I did it with that day, sat with me to do all the writing and everything and made sure I was okay. And then sat in that studio. And I think I was less nervous about doing it for me. I think the nerves came from, I just wanted to make sure that I made them proud because they were amazing. And I think it's not every day you get to work in a newsroom where you get such a huge amount of support. And when I said the goodbye and the cameras stopped rolling, they all, God, I get emotional, you can talk about it now. When the cameras stopped rolling, they all came into the studio and clapped.
1: (laughs) Which was
2: amazing, you
1: know. But you know what? That says a lot about you, Charlene, because we've all seen people that we think karmically, maybe didn't deserve the promotion uh, that they often go on to acquire. That doesn't sound like that was the case with you. It sounded like your colleagues really wanted to elevate you because you deserve that opportunity. Bless you. Oh, I want to give you a hug (laughs) through the (laughs) screen. That's major. How lovely that that moment is so um, clear in your mind as well. Oh, like
2: it was was yesterday. Like it was yesterday. And it was a former... um, it was a, a, a former chief exec at um, ICV came over to my desk the next day because he happened to be in the building. And he literally just popped his head over and he said, oh, you know, you made history two nights ago, don't you? I went, um, um, really? He went yeah. He says, you're the first black woman to have ever presented news at 10 is when I'm very proud of you. That was the first time I knew. Because I'd assumed someone had come before me. I just assumed yeah you know it was 2014 well, what
1: with it being 2014 yeah. and everything you'd have bloody hoped yeah.
2: right I just assumed and I didn't know and I I was just in so much shock I just I didn't realize
1: you nailed it and you've been nailing it ever since oh, okay thank um, you
2: I just have said it's going to be really embarrassing but had to have you say that doesn't mean a lot to me it really does
1: oh don't bless it no listen I can't believe that you know you've gone on to sit there and anchor the news at 10 the, the program that the one program of the day that I never miss even if I'm not home at 10 I I still watch it before I go to bed. Yeah. It's the most trusted news source yeah. for me. And that puts you at the heart of it. That is the ultimate journalistic honour, is it not? Oh,
2: bless you. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, and, you know, it's a slightly different programme, obviously, now that it's single-headed. And I loved working with the guys that I work with when it was double-headed. Um, but it is the show... You're right. It's the show that everybody sits and, and watches. It's a, you trust. It's, it's a thing, you know? And
1: Yeah, and, and, and throughout the pandemic, it was... More important than ever, I think it absolutely helped to uh, make people realise the true value of great journalism. Yeah. Great journalism, yeah. not just everyday <laughs> kind of knock it out on the internet journalism. Now, no, no, listen, this all kind of brings, this all, brings me very nicely to my first question. I had a chance to explore your family history with you. I mean, the documentary was phenomenal. Congratulations Thank on Empire's Child. Um, A real, genuine voyage of discovery. Um, But I know that when we work back to your choice of profession, that was born in part from the affirmation that you had for your mum and your aunt, who your mum worked as a social worker, your aunt was a teacher. And they worked in roles that enabled them to speak up for the voiceless, to improve the lives of the people they were there to help. And that inspired you to want to tell the stories of those whose voices are not heard. But I wanted to know of all the stories you've worked on and covered or told, which has touched you and taught you the most and why?
2: Oh, gosh, there's a question. I know, it's <laughs> hard, isn't it? Oh, my gosh, there's a question. I think the first thing that comes to mind would be the Haiti earthquakes, actually. Um, because it was the first story that really hit me here. And it was because it was the Caribbean. It's because it was... People suffering in such a, in such an awful way, who looks like me, and you know the history of Haiti and when you go back to the amount of different countries that have owned it and then just left it in the state that it 's in, um, it really did did hurt, and there are ways what annoys me sometimes more than anything is the way that we treat human bodies when we 're dealing with news. If you come from particular areas of the world and your skin is lighter, for instance, um, there's certain things they'll blur. They'll blur a lot of the um, the cuts, the bruises, the death. They'll blur a lot of that because it's seen as being a lot more tasteful. But then you may as well see the bodies of those who have darker skin and it's not perhaps treated in the same way in terms of broadcast journalism.
1: Same reverence and respect is not afforded to the, yeah. those victims. Yeah. That's a disgrace.
2: And you can, you know, once you sort of are aware of that, the way that you look at sometimes news stories are treated, you, you get that disparity. And especially when it came to Haiti earthquakes, for example, and I was on the 5.30 News at that point, and there are certain shots that I wouldn't use when I'd be editing down packages. There are certain images that I'd make sure were blurred because I see that as being hugely important. And I see a human body as being a human body. But it's really weird the way that because some things have always been done in a certain way, you don't see that it's wrong. Um, and I, you know, especially at the moment when it comes to the way that we treat uh, attacks. Or violence caused by people who have darker skin. Mm. <laughs> or as I saw someone on the BBC refer to it, um, someone that looked like they're of African descent, um, who looked African, which isn't a
1: thing. It's not actually a thing. <laughs> I was gonna say, sorry, that means what exactly? <laughs> not a thing. Um, but you know, the way
2: in which we <sighs> we try and send messages to to viewers without saying the actual words. And I remember that there was a, an attack at Russell Square, that uh, an American tourist had been attacked at Russell Square. And every single news network was calling the, um, the attacker. I believe it was um, a British national of Somali descent is how they put it. And I just sort of walked in and I was I was incensed. I said, um, so how would you describe me? Would you describe me as when someone says, Oh, who's Charlie? Oh, she's she's a black British, or would you say she's black, British, of Jamaican descent, either I'm British or I'm not? What what signals or signs are you trying to send here? Yeah. So when they talk about that individual at Russell Square, this is about sort of six years ago. I said, Oh, well, you know, they might be, they might be Muslim. And they're like, Well, so it might just be a terrorist attack. It's
1: like, okay. What? Just because they're Muslim?
2: And I'm like, well, for a start. <laughs> A, you don't know that he is. Uh, B, saying that somebody is of Somali descent, you understand that Islam is a religion, not a race. <laughs> so the fact that the person is is British is enough.
1: It's it's just a British man, right? That's fundamentally how we should be yeah. reporting this. And you're so right. The nuance in the language that we use—that's systemic, yeah. and and that's the stuff that we can stop. But we, you know, you have to speak up. You have to become unpopular at yeah. work when you start ch- start challenging. Yeah what is a system that's been in place and people just groove along with it. And
2: and that's where speaking for the voiceless comes into play. And I'm really lucky to be a senior member of the team now. Um, But in terms of speaking up, it's something that I've always done because I don't see why I shouldn't. Um, and I've always been very forthright because that's the way that I have been raised. I don't know how to do it any differently. And so when I see that something is wrong and something's just not working, then I, I will just say it. Um, and again, you know, working in the newsroom that I work in, it's never, I would never say that it's gone down badly at all because of the way that I will deal the situation because you bring up a subject and it does make people think. And that's why having. Different people who think in a slightly different way can only ever enrich a business, a newsroom, because actually you start questioning what it is that you're doing. I mean, I remember when there was a, a group of fantastic women who had circumvented the, the world, and they were the first group of women to ever do that. And I think somebody had written from me, for me, the four mums who circumvented the the world. And I was like, Not reading that. I said, yeah, but they are mums. Really? Because when four men have done it, have you called them the four dads who circumvented? Four dads. No. Oh, well, no. Oh. And then they sit and then they think and they'll never do it again.
1: But exactly. You know, the number of times, Charlene, I I get asked a lot in interviews, how do you juggle life as a single working parent? Well, like, would you ask single dad's that question no or people go who's who's looking after the kids today we well, don't ask a guy exactly. that. It's like working working really, dad's not a thing no one talks
2: about talks about the working dads it's all
1: about the working mums it's like no oh. Yeah. but equally the language that we started to see really actually i felt was properly challenged um via the media uh with the with the terrible murder of sarah everard when the first rush of kind of you know of reporting and really circus sort of sitting around some of the stuff that had come from official police spokesmen was about how women should better protect themselves. It's like, no, no, hang on a minute. We're just getting home. How about you guys talk about how you can stop murdering and raping women? That's the conversation, not how we can do our very best to stay as as, as well clear of you you guys as possible. I mean, it's just in senses.
2: I know, but then it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because for For generations, that's how those stories have been told. Mm. We have always been seen as being um, the one at fault. And we know that because historically, when it came to women being attacked, they'd be talking about what they were wearing and what their sexual activity had been like in the past. Because of course, all those must be reasons why you're in the situation that you're in. And I think only now, you know, and I think social media does have a part to play in that because I think a lot more women, we felt more empowered to to mm. To expose the wrongs, to talk about the wrongs, to talk about language, to talk about blame in a way that perhaps wasn't heard before, mm. um, and it's a really interesting moment in time that we're living in at the moment where the fact that you are talking you know're speaking up against a police uh, constable you know a head of police go, no, your advice should not be to women that the, they should, you know perhaps yeah. they should be walking around in groups or perhaps they should talk to a bus driver and get them to help So like, no you need to talk to the people who are doing the attacking they are the ones that are wrong yes. but for generations exactly. we've been the ones at fault we have been
1: ah oh, it's just it's yeah so but you know i think i think you know clearly you've played a part in challenging the use of language which is really really important yeah as we and also all same. attempt to change yeah. and shift our, our, our language and just become like a little bit more 2021
2: yeah and also sort of think about the way in which we treat stories generally the stories that you know would historically be brushed under the carpet because um the child wasn't attractive enough or the the mum wasn't attractive enough or you know all these reasons why all these reasons that are given for not doing particular stories or you know it's that story's a bit too black or that story's a bit too south asian or that that's all oh, no we don't want to do that you know all of those things that historically everyone's just gone yeah no that's right that's true i've always been of the opinion is that it's just simply not it's not and i my parents and my aunt have always challenged me every step of the way of at school and in my career they've always challenged me and so challenging other people and challenging what is seen as being the norm is actually something I enjoy but you're very good at it <laughs> I think actually mixing things up a bit mixing things up a bit and getting things to be able to think a bit more yeah. you know that's the exciting thing about doing the jobs that we do doing things as they've always been done there's no joy and excitement in that but changing things up mixing things up a bit that's where the joy comes
1: from absolutely yeah But you keep doing it. Keep shaking and moving. (laughs) Before I move on to my next question, I just wanted to ask, what was it like when you were shooting Empire's Child where you actually become the story?
2: Um, You could see the shift where sort of halfway through the film, and I think that was when I traveled to Jamaica. That's when everything switched. So throughout the first half, I was basically doing the whole, yeah, not going to get emotional. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling an important story, but it's also, you know, telling an important historical story and all those sorts of things. And yes, it's about my family, but I am still quite detached because I'm a journalist, blah, 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 nonsense. And then (laughs) I flew, flew out to Jamaica and it was just, something just took hold. There was something about being there. There was something about getting off that plane breathing that air and it's that warm, like wall of air you walk into as you get off that plane that just suddenly hit me. And then it was that moment Mm -hmm. I thought, oh no, oh no. And I could feel like the journalist shackles sort of leaving me as I'm desperately trying (laughs) to hold on to them. And it just didn't work at all because suddenly being there in the the place of my parents' birth and my grandparents' birth, it suddenly at that point became very personal. And and I wanted to do right by them. And I had no idea what was coming. I they weren't allowed to tell me what they found. So every time I sat down with an interviewee, they were telling me a completely new piece of information. And I had no mm. idea what that was going to be. That was weird. <laughs> it, it really was. And actually, one bit that wasn't in the in the film, and that the bit that really did set me off, was there's a poem by a Jamaican poet called Claude McKay, and the area, Nan's. The, the, the Nairns estate that my family first bought land on when they became freed slaves. Uh, Claude McKay's um, parents also lived there. So Claude McKay was part of the Renaissance, uh, the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. So he was, he was a brilliant writer and essentially wrote this piece about leaving Clarendon. So that's the area that my, my family originate from. Mm. And it's a really short poem, but it's about... Leaving home, but it never actually ever leaving your heart. Um, and that there's always going to be a connection. So they've given me this poem when I was sat in the hotel and I read it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's nice I didn't think anything of it. Stood at the top of this mountain, <laughs> <laughs> at the top of this mountain with this genealogist giving me all this information. She then hands me the book. Opens it to this page and gets me to read it. I got to the end of it and just crumbled because suddenly I realised mm-hmm. this poem is about me. It's about anybody that has left, you know, their birthplace and moved elsewhere. Even though it's not my birthplace, but of my my family, you know, and how you'll always feel that connection, whether you want to or not. You will always feel that connection. And standing on that mountain top. I felt that connection, read that poem, and suddenly, it all suddenly made sense. Why I felt the way I did when I got off that plane, why my heart just was just, it just full and felt really weird. I felt weird. I didn't know why I felt weird. Read that poem, and it suddenly all made sense, because I am forever connected to that piece of land. I'm forever connected to Jamaica. My kids will be forever connected to there. And read that poem, and then that, I, I literally just crumbled. Um, and I fell into the producer's arms, and then I'm going, I never do this, it's really weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you feel really unprofessional, don't you? And you're like, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I keep apologising. It's like, yeah. no, actually, it's really important to feel that. What you had was an entirely sensory connection to a story that is well inside of you it is you you're con- you are part of that story yeah it's fascinating i didn't expect it and it was weird it was weird it was weird <laughs> it was wonderful very powerful stuff uh, um, i want to stick with empire's child uh to move on to my next question
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
1: In the documentary, you meet the man who transformed your parents' fortunes after giving them lodgings when they arrived in the UK at a time when, um, let's be honest, very few would. It enabled them to get themselves eventually onto the property ladder and ultimately to build a prosperous future as a family. And this guy's 91 now. I loved it. You went to visit him. He still has the same stair carpet and it's pristine, by the way. I mean, has it been covered in plastic all these years or what? They, they
2: just don't make him like they used to, Kate.
1: <laughs> but I wondered, do you have your own equivalent of him? Can you think of a time when an act of great support or kindness or faith was transformative for you?
2: Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, it would be my first ever foray into into TV, really, if we are talking sort of career stuff. Um you know, being a broadcast journalist and doing telly is what I've always wanted to do, and I wasn't really sure how to navigate that. And I was at Radio One and One Extra for a little while. I we went on this road show, and I was in Sheffield, and I didn't want to go to Sheffield to do this road show because I had a night out plan with my mates on the Saturday night, and I was going to that club, and I was going to out with my mates, and nothing was going to stop me. So I went up to Sheffield on the Friday, helped them to set up. And then on the Saturday before the public came in, we had to test the auto cues. This guy said, "Oh, Charlene and this other guy, girl Hannah, can you get up on stage and just make sure we've got it at the right distance?" We did that, finished that. Was literally five minutes. Went on with the rest of the road show. I left, got on the train back to London, went raving. Didn't think anything of it.
1: Went raving.
2: I love it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> They're like, Are "You not staying? No, so I'm going. I'm
1: raving." <laughs> I'm out out.
2: Yeah, basically. Um, and then about two months later, I get this email. I'm sat in the office and I get this email, and it turned out that the guy who was comparing, who'd asked me to get on stage, was the um editor of bbc 360 Second news. And and he said to me, So from the moment you walked in to the marquee to do the road show, she says, I knew there was something different. He said, so I got you to get up on stage to read the autocue because I just wanted to make sure. And I'd like you to, to come in and do a, a screen test.
1: Wow. <laughs> like,
2: what? And I went in, read like 60 seconds of news. I got out of the studio from doing the screen test. And he just went, have you got your diary so we can start booking you ships?
1: <sighs> that stuff and never that happens it. anymore now, does it? You have to have 85 meetings with 35 yeah. agents. And... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Wow.
2: he was quite he's quite a special person his name is Nicky and he's quite a special person and at a time obviously now everyone's sort of especially since Black Lives Matter wants to make sure that they are they fairly represent the country both on screen and off screen and so looking for talented individuals that perhaps have been looked over mm-hmm. in, in previous years but one thing that Nikki did way before it became fashionable way before it became a thing is he wanted to make sure that 60 Second News was was representative of the country it was a young it was a youth service obviously it was a youth station Mm. and he knew and you know we're going back to when I was what 25 so you know this is what 2005 and there are many many people who were working on screen in the meeting including Claudia Eliza who presents for Channel 5 News he spotted each and every one of us in really Mm different situations, saw something in us and brought us into the fold. And many of us wouldn't have on-screen careers if it wasn't for him. He was amazing. Before, you know, he saw that he was in a position of, of power and an authority and he changed the lives for, for so many of us. Oh. And I'm forever... Th- he didn't have to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He wanted to do it. Um, and that completely changed the course of my career.
1: So where were you working at the time? Were you doing One Extra?
2: Yeah, I was doing one extra and Radio 1. And I loved, I love radio. I love radio, but TV was always my goal. And it always just seemed to be a bit of a closed shop, really. I wouldn't say, you know, I didn't go to Oxbridge. I don't have like a super posh, you know, receive pronunciation, accent. Um, I don't come from a family of media people. So it just seemed out of reach. Radio 1 was, didn't seem that out of reach to me because it was young people and especially One Extra. Yeah. You know, it was a fantastic, fantastic station that was full. I've never worked with so many minor- ethnic minorities before in my life. It was incredible. And actually, it had the effect of making me think that that's
1: what all of media was like.
2: So when I left there and went on elsewhere, and I was like, oh...
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it? Because you you kind of glide through your childhood, uh, forming your own ideas about what the world is going to be like for you, and and then when you step out there and you realise, like somewhere like One Extra was probably. Incredibly diverse in comparison to other newsrooms around the country. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd never really understood what sexism was until I went to work. Mm. Then I got it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it would just—I would find it quite shocking. I remember being away on an away day with all the other editors in the group, uh, and they were all male and all lovely, by the way. But there was the expectation of anyone fancy a cup of tea, right? Kate, twelve teas, please. And I'm like, sorry. Uh... No, <laughs> it was stuff, just, you know, nothing horrible, but just the nuances, assumed, yeah. it's the nuances. You know, yeah. and no one can prepare you for that. No. At
2: all, because you sort of, school and college and uni, it's like, you know, everything seems balanced, you know, and then they put you out into the open world and then that's when reality kind of hits you. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure anyone can truly prepare you for that, And it is really much a sink and swim. Yeah. You know, what was amazing is we all worked in this incredible environment at One Extra where we could go down to Soho and go to Mr Jerks and someone would buy, I don't know, a curry goat and rice and peas for lunch, come back and the reaction would be, oh my God, what is that? What's that smell? You know, as you may do in other newsrooms, the reaction would be, I cannot believe you've gone to Mr Jerks and didn't tell anyone and take an order. (laughs) You know, that would be... (laughs) That would be the the reaction. And I think part of me being who I am was also shaped by being there too, because I never had to second guess myself in terms of thinking, if I suggest this story, is this going to be seen as too black? If I talk in this particular way, Mm. will people take me less seriously? If I turn up to work wearing, I don't know, Air Force Ones or something, will they see me as being a bit of a joke? I never had to think about any of those things. Because we're working in an environment where we're all very much like each other. So I never had to have mm. a filter. I only then had to have a filter when I then started working elsewhere. But by that point, I was old enough um, to not really care about having a, a filter and having to yeah. step on, you know, you know, walk on eggshells so as not to upset anybody.
1: You were able to grow as you rather than conforming into some kind of expectation that people have of, you know, identikit Stepford wife-style journalists yes. in newsrooms. Yes. So actually that what, that one extra Radio 1 environment was probably really important to the professional you grew up to be.
2: Yeah, 110%. The way I the way I write is very different because I remember our, um, <laughs> our editor would always say, Write as though we're sat in the pub over a pint and you're telling me a story. That's the way that we write news. So that's the way I write now, even now. And when I'm talking with the younger members of my team, that's how I tell them to write as well. I said, don't write how you think you should be writing. Just write as you. For me, as a, as a broadcaster, I, I feel what was important for me is to always just sound like me. To, and I did fight quite hard for that. You know, especially with doing really high profile programs like News at 10, for example, I, I, you know, I I still do it as me. I still change words. I still change sentences because I just want to, irrespective of whether I'm doing loose, News at 10, Even News, whatever I'm doing, I want everyone oh, yeah. to know it's just, it's just me,
1: you know? Tom Bradby when he started news at 10 felt like um a really dangerous walk on the wild side because he didn't he didn't read the news he presented the news it's a difference you know you're not a news reader what do, what what do they call that that role now you're an anchor you're um yeah and yeah and it's just sort of a I'm, newscaster you know, right, if yeah, we're yeah, american a
2: newscaster <laughs> but
1: Newcastle. there's room
2: for different styles i just think yeah. that the days of, of feeling like British news can only ever be presented or, or hosted or read and in only ever one way those days yeah. are, are gone you know long gone yeah and i think it's 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 i would hate and i think this is also a radio one throwback it's for years, the assumption was that young people weren't interested in news. I mean, the number of people that would listen <gasps> to Radio 1 and one Extra to those newsweek programmes on a daily basis very clearly told you that's not true. That's not
1: and true. And we've gone
2: through years of, of, of grown-up news ignoring younger people and now sort of desperately trying to galvanise them and get them interested in what they're doing. It's like, we can't... You know, if we do things in the same way, you're not going to bring them in. And it's so important that we bring them in. Definitely. Because, you know... They have to, you have got all these ways of learning about the world now, but the trusted ways to learn about the world, you know, there are still few of those places that when there's breaking stories that you can really go to and and, and trust in the fact that you're getting the truth, Mm. you start losing young people to those sources,
1: then things get messed up a bit um and knowing more and i think i think it's really important that they know where they have to come for news that's regular well when i say regulated answerable to an ofcom that has a duty to present the facts as opposed to opinions exactly so that people can form their own opinions that's really important and you know and actually my son's 13 if he didn't live with such a news junkie he wouldn't know what the you know the BBC news was for example yeah. or the ITN news so yeah. I think you know we've really got to they are they are incredibly powerful and meaningful and we need them to be there and we learned that so much in the pandemic yeah it was it was you know the news became the new prime yeah time. And,
2: and I think and that proved just how important those services still are because millions of people every night during especially that first lockdown You know, they they wanted to know what was happening. They needed to know what was happening because we're all sat in this awful situation and we're scared and we don't know what to do. And we've seen how dangerous those unregulated news sources can be. Hugely dangerous. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I think actually you become more important than ever because you, you've, you for the day, you know, we would be swimming through this kind of quagmire of news sources and opinions on social media. But actually the stuff that makes those big news bulletins is the stuff that's been qualified yes. and clarified. And therefore and that's important. And I think important. people
2: also have to recognise their own mental health and how dangerous consuming news Every hour, every minute of every day can be. And the fact that the way that we do it is we are protecting your mental health. And I'll use this, you know, to go back to Sarah Everard, I'll use that as, as an example. When the police released a lot of their footage, um, once he had pleaded guilty and the court case was finished, there was a lot of stuff that was footage that was released that we had on these programs, obviously. But then an individual Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts, people were posting up the videos of when he was first interviewed, for example, they were doing all of that stuff. So you'd just be scrolling through and you'd see it time and time and time again. And it got to a point, like, actually, I can't look at my Instagram and my Twitter today because I have an asked to see all of that stuff. You, there is no warning before mm-hmm. I see all of that stuff um it's you know you see the picture in the video first then you see the words then it's like oh it's a trigger warning but well, I've already seen it yeah before you your words whereas when we do it we say before we show you anything you might find this disturbing we're giving you a chance to opt out if you don't want to see what it is that we're broadcasting there's a the governance to it yeah are, yeah if people are scrolling through those videos and that footage all day every day that has an effect on somebody's mental health and I don't think it does that people really quite understand when they sort of talk about the media which is not one homogenous thing anyway but when they talk about the media well every time you post these things up on your accounts you are becoming a part of that but unregulated and you're not giving somebody a a choice as to whether they see it whether they engage with it or, or you have no idea what impact that's going to have on an individual.
1: Can they handle it? Exactly.
2: Yeah. And I'm such, it's something I'm really passionate about, is people understanding their own mental health when news is concerned.
1: You're, you're quite right. I think social media has got a lot to do, if, if it's going to remain pertinent and important, but not damaging.
2: Yeah. Wow. And I think for individuals, just think a little bit more about what it is that they're posting you and share. what you're sharing because mm. there are news sources around where if you want to watch something, you can, but it doesn't mean that everybody needs to, because what is it that you're gaining from from doing that? You know, you can have like a thousand people all all sharing that video of him first being interviewed. And it's like, you don't all need to do that. You also need to understand that you also, as an individual, have a
1: responsibility. And I don't necessarily mm.
2: think People are yet seeing it in that way. So I will never, I will never. just- But again,
1: is, is that is that not down to language? Do you think? Because I don't think people realise that the moment you open a Twitter account, a Facebook page, an Instagram account, you are a publisher. No, I don't think they realise that. That is they what you don't are. That at all. Yeah. So if, yeah. if, but if you know, if that's what it's. and this is what I keep saying to my son. Every time you hit that share button, you're publishing content about your life. There's a digital footprint that remains there forever. You have to, you have to really want to own that moment to share it. Yeah. Um, yeah it's tricky it's tricky lessons the lessons are long hard and very much ongoing on me in that they song. really are yeah <laughs> they
2: are and it's not going away anytime soon
1: it's just a question that leads to a question that yeah. leads to a question which uh speaking of which I've Ooh, got my last question okay. for you this is uh this is your third and final <laughs> question I wanted to know When you last made a decision that was completely out of character and unlike you, but then went on to pay great dividends.
2: I'll I'll, I'll leave it on a high note. I would say um, the outfit that I just wore to Pride of Britain Awards.
1: Um, Completely. Oh, I saw that. Red hot (laughs) jumpsuit, by the way, looking fiercely boxy. Completely out
2: of my comfort zone. Was it? Um, Completely out of my comfort. I mean, like in my 20s going into clubs, yeah, totally in my comfort zone. But as um, in my thirties and becoming a mum, and then in my forties and you know older and not as skinny and all those sorts of things, very much out of my comfort zone. Um, but I made a friend suggested to me that I wear it, and I thought, do you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And even when all my friends were here and helping me to get dressed and stuff, and and my, my friend was just saying Charlotte, it's going to be fine, and I really wasn't like. Dancing around and being happy, what have you. And I tentatively tried it on. I thought, yeah, yeah, this could maybe work. And I'm like, look, just get your hair done, do the makeup, and I promise you, you'll be fine. And I was completely out of my comfort zone. And I'd actually looked in my wardrobe to see if there was an alternative just in case. Um, And actually, it was the, (laughs) the, the collective power of my friends going, it's fine. And my sister going, you look beautiful. That actually got me to walk out of the house wearing it. And then... I was walking down the red carpet and I felt, I did feel fabulous. Um, and I think despite Good. the fact that I'm- because you looked it. Thank you. I mean, despite the fact that I'm obviously on telling every day, I still do have my own insecurities. And those are manifested after you've had kids. And I think especially when you have kids slightly later in life, you know, things don't go away as quickly as they perhaps would have done if I'd had kids earlier.
1: Oh, God, no. Um,
2: so, yeah. you know, you, what you do end up getting, you know, getting all up in your own head about stuff. And I wouldn't normally, that was very much out of my comfort zone. And then by the time I left, by the time I got out that taxi on thread carpet, I was like, no, it's fine. I'll be fine. This is fine. Um, and then I had a glass of champagne and then everything was fine. So <laughs>
1: Everything was fine after that. Do you know, isn't it funny that a jumpsuit is is more likely to destabilize you than some <laughs> sort of major news event? Isn't it funny? <laughs> <laughs> because news. I've been doing like, you news know, you could so throw you on air to cover a disaster and you'd cope, but you're going, oh, a jumpsuit? I don't know. Oh, God, is it's this me? Isn't it? But- When you look at it like that, but no, it's not because I hear you. I get you. I totally understand you. I think we're all massively vulnerable and that's okay. Yeah,
2: I think, yeah. And that's, that's a lesson that I, I learned as well. And all this kind of doing red carpet stuff, it's all very new to me. It's, it's, It's it's, you know, it's only sort of become a thing since doing Least Women. So it's all so new and still quite Mm. scary. And yeah, you, know, you never know if you. I mean, that the right in itself decision. could
1: qualify as a decision that's most unlike you and out of character to join Loose Women. Is it something you had to give a lot of thought to? No,
2: but that to me that's not out of character. It's so weird because people always say that to me and they think it's very much out of character, but it's it's not. It's it's an extension of of me. It's it's yeah, me sitting yeah. with my mates having a conversation about news stories, which is what I do anyway. It just happens to be a camera in front yeah. of me, you know, and just having a laugh <laughs> and a joke. My thing has always been is you know yes yes I'm a geek for news and I love news but that's not the entirety of me and and I've always Mm. said that and and you know I'm really really lucky that ITV have allowed me to to show that and to use that and to you know Mm. and I love doing it but it's it's not out of the comfort it's a great show to do isn't it you know
1: it, it's it's really sad to me that there's still only one talk show on television dedicated to female voices. Oh, because, because that women, really is not because women right. don't
2: care. Kate. You know, women don't really care about all of the, all of that, all of that stuff. They don't care. Um, you know, it, it's a <laughs> way. put me in a room
1: with someone saying that. Come on, let's go. <laughs>
2: yes, we do. You know, it's it's it, you know, it comes down to so many things where where women are concerned and. You know, the importance of who we are and the, the brains that are in our heads and our ability to navigate situations and our intelligence. You know, you know in so many different ind- industries, it's always underestimated. Always. You know, and people make assumptions about what it is that we want. And this podcast is a good example of, of, of how wrong that is.
1: You know? And I think there's great, there's great benefit in these conversations. And I think people take a lot from them. So maybe that kind of DIY culture is, is, has, has a lot to be said for it as well. Well, I don't know. I exactly. I've taught my, I mean, myself around in no, circles on that no, one. No,
2: but what, it, what this has encouraged, all these platforms have encouraged you know, entrepreneurs like yourself. And I think we are going through a, a moment in time where that level of entrepreneurism is the future you know and and we can we can see that through influencers for example who work very hard in their careers online all these sort of people who are essentially entrepreneurs they may not necessarily have the respect levels that they should get for for their work but the reality is they're entrepreneurs and that should only ever be celebrated
1: and do you think of yourself as one
2: no no, I have a short attention span, Kate. So as much as I'd love to sort of go out and do it alone and look, I always have ideas. I'm like an ideas person. But as all my um, school reports all say, I'm great at the idea, really bad with the follow through.
0: Um,
2: so, <laughs>
1: I would, you know. Yeah, but, that's, but that's fine. You can, you can just populate teams <laughs> to, to pick up on all this. The thing is, we should know, we're, we're not all good at everything, no. right? And an ideas person and a, a creator and originator Uh, that that's valuable and also i would argue that as somebody that has multiple irons in multiple fires you are already very much an
2: entrepreneur thank you kate oh okay you're good for the soul man (laughs)
1: thanks (laughs) thank you i'm also good for the dance one that's where i'd like to see you next time please (laughs) <laughs> if uh, if anybody would like to go back and revisit your incredible journey with Empire's Child, I would implore them to do so. It's on ITV Hub, it's it's available on, on Catch Up. Please go and watch it, you'll learn an awful lot about the history that should have been taught in our classrooms, still really isn't, but hopefully is about to be. Um, and that's the story of, of, of all of us, the, the people that make up this great nation um, that we so boldly called Great Britain. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Thank you. That's it for this week's White Wine Question Time. As always, the show's produced by me, Kate Thornton, alongside Gabriella Collasardo, Richard Hatherill, and Libby Knowles for Yahoo UK. Our beats come courtesy of Andy Bell. I'll be back next week. Until then, take great care out there.